never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that tossed a coin to our Witcher. And now we wait for the cavalry. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Hey, man. Peter, what's up? Uh, Pretty good. How about yourself? I'm, well, it's been a very interesting long week for me, but hey, that's cool. And then, how about this? I have very random, crazy weeks back to back to back to back. Like, I, so last weekend, I had to go to my brother-in-law's bachelor party and then I had to and then the very next day I had to run three D&D sessions and then I had to go into a really long week at work <laughs> and then I got my brother-in-law's wedding and it happens to be Labor Day weekend and then there's parties yeah. on top of that and it's just like at I believe on Monday I'll get to rest so we'll see <laughs> so that so, being said this is a Labor Day episode so happy Labor Day everybody I hope you're getting a drink and enjoying some podcast time so <laughs> absolutely um i was just i just had to laugh because uh anytime i go to a bachelor party i usually just don't plan on doing anything the next day because uh usually i'm not going to be too productive anyways <laughs> but that's super ambitious of you to uh run three D games that uh How about sounds this? crazy I, if anyone from the bachelor party is listening the bachelor party wasn't supposed to be that day. It was supposed to be a different day, and they had to move it. I gotcha. And I didn't have a choice, so I had to run two camp, two D&D sessions for the kids that I do for the park district, and then I had my adult group following it, and I do not cancel on my adult group. So my adult group, as you're listening, I do not cancel on you unless it's a emergency. <laughs> because There you go. It's really funny. <laughs> I saw this great. I saw this great meme. It was a girl... Um, talking to her boyfriend or husband or whatever, and she's like, you want to have sex tonight? And he's like, it's D&D night. And she's like, but I'm over here waiting for you. And he's like, I can't reschedule this. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, um, man. It was a really funny meme. I'm like, that's fantastic. Um, but yeah, so that's how my week has been. Um, how's yours been? Because uh, in terms of like watching, reading, did you get a chance to watch anything? I do have some watching stuff, so... Okay, cool. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch a ton. Um, I've had a super busy week, but I'm just I am really looking forward to the long weekend coming up. But uh, I did get to watch a few things. Um, I think I might have mentioned this the last podcast, but I don't know what it is, but I'm on like this massive um, office kick right now. Like it's literally like every day I'll finish work and I'll just put the office on and go about and do my things. But that's just like been my background noise for like the past couple weeks and I don't know what it is I think it's like a weird comfort zone (laughs) where I'm just like 
anytime I try to watch something else, I'm like, I'd rather just be rewatching The Office right now. So again, I don't know what it is, but I'm just on that huge kick right now. Um, otherwise, I am caught up on Ahsoka, which Drew, I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit yeah. in depth on that episode. Um, the one kind of out of the blue thing that I watched this week is a great, um, I was going to say classic, but I don't know if it fits the bill, but I uh, watched a beloved movie from uh, the turn of the century, <laughs> if you will. I watched uh, Dracula 2000 the other night. Oh, is um, this a first time watch? It actually is. Um, oh, all right. For, for some reason, um, like I mentioned, I'm on a big office kick. For some reason, my wife is on, like, this really big vampire kick lately. Like, sure. uh, we watched a couple of the Underworld films recently and stuff, and that's all been really fun. And uh, the Dracula 2000, and I didn't realize, but it looks like there's a couple sequels to this movie, but they're all on HBO Max. So uh, we decided oh. to give this a try the other night, and uh, it's a really fun flick. It's... Uh, I saw Wes Dracula Craven. 2000 in the theater, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I remember that. So I, I thought you might have some stuff to say about it. But this movie is uh, it's a West it's a Wes Craven film. And Wes Craven films are either like I feel like they're either like super demented, scary stuff or they're just kind of like campy, like fun sort of movies and I feel like this movie's a little bit of both but it's kind of like there's a lot of the campiness there's a lot of uh cool like sci-fi and espionage elements when it comes to like you have uh Van Helsing who's been keeping himself alive for centuries because he has Dracula captured in a silver coffin in like a secret compartment under his mansion or corporate building or whatever it is and he has leeches that are sucking dracula's blood and he is injecting himself with blood from those leeches to keep himself alive now that <laughs> this is a long backstory and this is revealed pretty early in the movie so i'm not spoiling too much here but my right. point is when it comes to van helsing being um of the or being in the modern era and uh some of his tech some of the weapons he has, the way that he fights vampires, a lot of that stuff is very, like, has this very, like, fun action sci-fi sense to it. It has a bit of, like, that espionage, like, James Bond-esque sense to it, and a lot of that stuff's really fun. And uh, otherwise, the movie also has a lot of really fun... I'm assuming this movie came out after The Matrix. I'm not sure, but... Uh, it has a lot of, it seems to be influenced by the Matrix. There's a lot of characters running around in trench coats. There's a couple Matrix. It was, it was that, it was that time. Fights. It was that time, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the movie, again, that time, it has an awesome, uh, like, new metal soundtrack that's playing through the whole thing. Uh, most of the movie takes place in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. And every time they show one of these outside, like, New Orleans party scenes, you're going to have, like, Rob Zombie or Marilyn Manson playing in the background. And you're sitting there watching it, and you're like, this is pretty sick. I'm not sure if those people would actually be listening to this, but this is pretty awesome. Um, but no, I just thought the movie was a ton of fun, and it has... There's some twists in the movie. It ends There's with a Lincoln Park song, too. Awesome. Yeah, that's right. It it was Linkin Park. I can't remember. Was it? I I feel like it might be Paper Cut that plays at no, the it's end. One, it's, it's one step closer, and I'm not looking. That oh, up. you're I right. Remember, okay. I, I'm not even looking that up. I just remember it. 
Um, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, oh, I kind of like, lost my train like of thought, but... Scream 6. Now, hold on, real quick tangent. It's kind of like in Scream. The Scream franchise started as Wes Craven be starting that whole thing. And Scream yeah. 6 opened with In My Head by Mike Shinoda from Linkin Park. Thought that was kind of interesting. Anyway, go ahead. So Wes Craven might be a Linkin Park fan. He might I guess be. is what you're saying. He might be. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think there's more I was going to say. Oh, I know what I was going to say. The movie, so it, it's kind of comic booky. It's kind of corny. It's really like a lot of fun. If you want to just watch a crazy action horror movie, I think this is a good place to go. But it's it definitely is very campy at parts. But it's also, like, the best kind of campy, where it has, like, certain aspects when they go into the Dracula lore and how they rethink some of those Dracula tropes are really cool. And it's one of those things where it's, there's this biblical tie-in where they tie in the concept of Dracula into major biblical events. And the way they do it is, like, it's in between like something you roll your eyes at, but also something that you're like, that's actually kind of smart and really cool. And it has that sort of like, it has this like teenage boy-esque wit to it that I kind of appreciated, if that makes sense. Where like certain things feel well thought out, but they also feel kind of corny, but that's kind of why you love it because it just, I know if I saw this movie in high school, I would have thought it was so badass, you know? And I think that's the, uh, that's the demographic it's going for. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you've revisited this movie at all, Drew. I don't know if you have any thoughts on Dracula 2000. But uh, that's the big out of the blue one for me this week. I remember having a lot of fun watching that movie. I saw it in theaters. Um, there seemed to be like Dracula always has this like romance to the character. Yes. Uh, where other vampire, like when they do a Dracula movie, there's always tends to be like a romance to the character, um, like in a dominating kind of a way because yeah. of the seduction of like his victims and stuff like that, which is which is kind of cool, which lends which lends to the story really well. But the um, when you look at other vampire stuff, they don't play into that as much. They did heavily in uh, True Blood for sure. Um, but they don't do that normally when you do like other vampire movies. If you look at like 30 Days a Night or Blade or uh, John Carpenter, well, John Carpenter's vampires, they did, a, they sure did. So I yeah. think back. But I remember watching this movie and it's just like you take the the concept of Dracula and put it in a modern day setting. And, you know, when whatever liberties they took or any changes they made, you're like, yeah, that's it's modern day Dracula. And it looks great. It was just it was a fun movie. It really was. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, just just commenting on the um, sort of like romanticism of Dracula and stuff. Um, yeah. When I was in college, I actually so I I was in a Brit lit class and we actually read Dracula, which was pretty cool. You know, it's cool to actually be in a class and read stuff that you want to read. But uh, right. according to my teacher, that all those like sexual undertones and stuff is actually completely on purpose because during Victorian times people just weren't allowed to write about sex. So Bram Stoker wrote Dracula about vampirism, but there's a lot of like, when you actually look at the wording of certain things, there's some very sexual undertones to Dracula. And it's kind of a pretty interesting to, uh, to, you know, take it apart that way and look at all those details. But 
I also love the debate. Do you like your your vampires like 30 days of night? Do you want them to be these blood sucking monsters that are gruesome and gross? Or do you want your, you know, true light or true blood vampires that are, you know, <laughs> that are you know, sexy and handsome? And, you know, it's it's a it's a good debate to have. So, well, I, I like the blend a lot. And I right. say I, and I say I like the blend because think of Underworld where you had the vampires like. With Underworld, they rotate. So, like, some vampires are, like, sleeping for centuries, and then they have to be woken up at certain times to rejoin and refill ranks or whatever the case may be. So the ones that are sleeping come out like monsters. Um, okay. So they can, like, heal and come back, right? Um, and I always liked that idea. I also like the idea of, like, in Blade, where, like, some of them were the blood-sucking monsters, the scary ones and whatnot, but you had the ones that were, like, in control. So depending on what it was, and I liked the idea of that because that makes the vampire can be whatever it needs to be. Let's say you have the vampire that's, like, very politically... Clearly this is the vampire cast, but let's say you have the, um... Let's say you have a vampire that's, like, politically in charge, and, you know, you do all the, like, the pristine, like, out in the world, like, controlling things from behind the scenes. Like, think about, like, the figureheads in Blade, right? Or the figureheads in Underworld. Yeah. Those are, like, your your top of the line, like, the hierarchies of the vampire families, right? But let's say you have one that something happens to them in the course of their adventure, and they're stuck, like, feeding off of things they're not wanting to. They're stuck out in the wilderness for too long. They're, um, they dealt in battle, and they're trying to heal themselves, and they have to become that monster before they can come back. I always liked that idea of it. Um, but yeah, that, no, I, that, that is a good, that is a cool concept. Just like the idea of like, like if the vampire's starving, if they're left on right. their own, they're going to become this ravenous, uh, feral, you know what I mean? Like you have that feral side of them and that's the part that I always thought was cool. So like the 30 days a night, I thought the concept was cool, but what I didn't like about it was that they were all kind every vampire was very feral. And very yeah. evidence, <laughs> you know, and that's the part that kind of bugged me about. Um, I you know. I think it's a it's like a modern day horror thing where everything yeah. has to be stepped up a notch. You know, you look at like 28 days later and all the zombies are running around and stuff. And it's like, why are they doing that? You know, zombies don't typically run super fast, but it's like they just had to step everything up a notch. So. I don't yeah. even know what that means. Like, where are vampires going to go from here? <laughs> like, are they going to, like, telekinetically right. drain people's blood? Or, you know, what's going to happen? But, uh, no, definitely interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, I assume you said you watched Ahsoka. Did you cover anything else before we jump on stuff like that? That's about it for me besides Ahsoka. Um, but, yeah. All right. So, before we jump on Ahsoka, real quick, uh, Flash is streaming now on Max. Right. Uh, yeah. So I gave Flash a rewatch. Still just as fun. It made me want it made me want the Supergirl stuff more and more. Um, like bring Sasha Kali back and let's do a Supergirl movie with her because it just made me like her character more and her as an actress. Um, I did notice on the small screen some I know there's been some whining and moaning about CG. And yes, a lot of times we complain and we're just like, look. Stop complaining about the CG and the flash bubble because that's supposed to be like that. That's intended. There's some CG spots that I actually noticed outside of the flash bubble stuff, but a lot of it had to do with the double berries. And, you know, when you have to have the same actor on the screen twice and you got to play the CG card on that, um, it's but it was like 
like he'd turn his head and you'd see through the red tape a little bit. But, you yeah. know, you I kind of got to let that go be a little bit because it's just like, look, man, they're trying, <laughs> you know. Um, For me, it's it's but, kind of weird. Like, I don't. I feel like we're going on crazy tangents, but for me, like, like I love the uh, I love the Christopher Reeves Superman films from the seventies uh, and eighties, and um, I've lo- like I've loved superhero films my whole life. Like, I love the early two thousands movies, the X Men movies, the old Fantastic Fours. Like, and it's one of those things where if you love the genre enough, you do encounter bad cgi and bad effects and i i guess like when i watch a movie like the flash there's still part of me that's relating it back to those christopher reeve films you know like i'm still seeing it as like this big picture of just superhero films i love and i think because of that i'm a little more um apologetic for you know, bad CGI here and there because it's it's the rule of cool. Like it's still something I love, and it, it's okay if something has some bad C- CGI. I'll just have to use my uh, imagination a little bit more. And it's one of those things where I feel like the people are complaining too much about the CGI, and I don't want to go too far. But it almost feels like a fair weather fan thing where it's like, okay, maybe this one movie didn't have the greatest CGI, but what else do you not like about it? Is that the only thing you can think to not like about it? Because I, I grew up with a lot of movies with bad effects, and I still found ways to love them, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, um, I mean, go back, no, like, look, I know The Matrix is a golden gem, and like, I see it's praised a lot, but if you go back and look at that CGI, there's some, there's some not great CGI in, like, the sequel, and the sequel films. So, right. you know, everyone needs to stop their complaining. Anyway, Flash, it was great to see that. It was great to watch it again. Um, I thought I had something Flash-related on here. Uh, no, I don't. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was, it was great to watch it again. Um, I had Again, I had a lot of fun. You're just like, yes, the Batman stuff. Here we go. Like, the, the final moments of Ben Affleck, and then you're like, the fun, and then the uh, uh, Michael Keaton stuff. It was just, it was just a great time. Um, nice. And my son fell asleep through it. And then he woke up at the end. He's like, dude, I'm waking up at this part. I'm like, yeah, dude, you fell asleep. But he went to the theater and saw it. So yeah. he was with me in the theater. So he already seen the movie. I just thought it was funny that he fell asleep during the movie. Um, uh, speaking of Batman, real quick, um, the Dark Knight trilogy will be returning to theaters for Batman Day on September 16th. Um, so if you want to go see the Dark Knight trilogy, it will be in theaters again on September 16th. I... Uh, I cannot go see it. I have too much going on that day, so I'm going to try and do something Batman, but, you know. Right. If you wanted, yeah. to, see it, if you wanted to see it on the big screen one more time. Um, That's awesome. Uh, but let's talk about Ahsoka real quick, because there's some uh, stuff about Ahsoka that uh, has is interesting. Uh, I really thoroughly enjoyed um, this the third episode. Um, there's been some internet stuff that is driving me nuts, because people... I say this a lot, okay? I really do. You need to pay attention to what you're watching. You need to hang on lines of dialogue. You need to, like, pay attention to detail because too many times someone will be like, well, this didn't make sense because of the following, and I'll go, no, it did make sense because of the following, and I'll, like, list off all the points that are in the movie, right? Or the book or the show or whatever. And I saw an internet article that said um, Ahsoka current episode of Ahsoka breaks the Star Wars canon and 
um, finally confirms what the sequel, uh, what happened in episode eight. And it's true that anyone can use the force. And I'm like, and I read that article and I was like, anyone can use the force. That's not a new thing. That goes all the way back to 1977. George Lucas said that Obi-Wan Kenobi said that um, all of this. And then the very first comment on the article was, this is not a new thing. <laughs> yeah. So clearly the person who wrote the article is not paying attention. Um, but no, like anyone can use the force. And I always thought that anyone has the force available to them. The Jedi are the ones that for some reason are able to use it more than us. Now, in the midst of the argument, whoever was writing, reading that article was like, Someone else in the comments said, but that throws the midichlorian debate out the window. And this is where I'm going to defend midichlorians because, again, people need to pay attention. And I'm going on a tangent and I'm doing it on purpose. The midichlorians, if you take a society that has been around for thousands and thousands of generations like the Jedi, someone is going to go, what makes the force tick? It's going to happen. Look and think of all of our scientists. Think about the guys who split open the atom. Think about the guys who made the atom bomb. Think about the guys who've done all their medical research. Someone is going to ask the question, right? Someone's yeah. going to split open an atom and they're going to find this thing inside the cells that generates the force energy like beyond anything else. And they give it a name and call it midichlorians, right? So now when the Jedi are testing, they're checking for midichlorian counts, right? Hey, Check Anakin's blood. What's his midichlorian account? Well, sir, it's off the charts. More than Master Yoda. Blah, blah, blah. Right? It doesn't yeah. matter. I could get tested. You could get tested. My kid could get tested. And we could all have different varying midichlorian accounts. At the end of the day, the point is everyone's got it. It just comes to how in tune you are to it to be able to use it the way the Jedi use it. That's how it's always been. It's not new. So if you read the, if you wrote that article and you're listening, I'm helping you out. If you did read the article and you still don't understand, I hope I'm helping you out and clarifying because that drove me nuts when I saw it. I'm like, this is not a new thing. <laughs> yeah. I just think the middle chlorian thing is weird because it's just I feel like people are so hung up on that. And like, I don't I'm not necessarily an expert on midichlorians, so I could I could be wrong, but I just always assumed it's like. It's kind of like, to me, like natural ability, like you can be born with a knack for something, um, but that doesn't mean that you're going to use those skills or you're going to hone those skills. And just because you have a natural talent doesn't mean that you're going to excel at whatever it is if you don't put in the work. And right. so like somebody who has a high mid midichlorian count, I always saw it as like they have the propensity to become more in tune with the force and be able to use it more easily and stuff. But I never saw it as like, that means nobody else could. I never right. saw it as like, and here, here's where I say I could be wrong. Cause I don't know a lot about midichlorians, but I never saw it as like, if somebody has a low midichlorian count that they couldn't get a higher midichlorian count through like years of training. I'm not really sure how that works. I just so, saw it as like a, scientific way to measure this yeah. spiritual phenomena but i don't think i never saw it as like a contradiction of everything that came before it and i feel like people are very hung up on just the midichlorians themselves and they have been for about 30 years so, now but, or 20 years now but what were you saying <laughs> oh you used the right word and i was hoping you to say that you said measure 
Midichlorians yeah. were George Lucas's way of giving you a quantifiable way of explaining how strong someone is on a statistical level. So when they said test his blood for midichlorians, and then Obi-Wan says it's off the charts, Master Yoda doesn't have a count this high, meaning this kid is way more powerful than anything we've ever seen. And I've given you a quantified answer and reason for knowing that. Without seeing him do any force abilities, we've quantified it. That's the whole point of him. And that's why you never hear about it before, because they only needed it at that one point. But when you dig into it, some some Jedi scientist wanted to know what made the force tick and found this thing inside the body that is like the force generator. And that's where we get midichlorians. It's not that complicated. It is what right. it is. It's still science fiction for a reason. Anyway. Um, Ahsoka was great. Ahsoka was great, but I just wanted to mention that. Um, and yeah, so that drove me nuts that that's the case. But here's the thing about Ahsoka. Let's take away all the controversial parts of it. One of my biggest things that I love about Star Wars is space battles. There's not enough. Period. Yeah. Period. The, uh, the original trilogy had a bunch of space battles. You have the two Death Star battles. You have the uh, Millennium Falcon chase. Um, but you got some cool space stuff. When you jump down to the prequel trilogy, there's not a lot of space battles. When you look at the Clone Wars, there's not a lot of space battles. When you look at Rebels, there's not a lot of space battles. And what you do get in um, the sequel trilogy are like quick clips. They're barely space battles. And I love the ships. I really do. And there's not a lot of them. And this episode was pretty much all ship. And it was great. Like, I had a lot of fun watching it. I'm like, this is great. Just all ships, I'm down. I do wish there was some more ships. I wish it was kind of, like, bigger level. But what they were trying to do, I'm like, this is... I just had a lot of fun watching the episode. Um, I don't know, though. I feel like what we got was pretty awesome. Um, oh, it was. Out of the just, battles. Um, it is. I want, I want a big, like... I want Star Wars oh, and stuff like that on screen. Big space battle. And that could be coming, because Thrawn is a... A tactician when it comes to space battles so we could be getting that so yeah um no ab absolutely um i agree with that i thought the space stuff was all really awesome i like how you have you kind of have like this just in the middle of space fight where there's not really a lot surrounding the uh ships and then you have like that come into the sequence with the um uh, what do they call it? Like the hyperspace ring or whatever, like oh, that man. little bit. And then, well, <laughs> go ahead. dude, the giant hyperspace ring. Oh. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> well, it gave me uh, Stargate vibes because there was a, uh, and I say that not that they copied it because hyperspace rings are a thing, um, but that's a hyperspace ring, like almost like it's designed for a Star Destroyer to dock and then jump to another galaxy using the hyperspace. Yeah. Um, but there's a, in Stargate, in the very late seasons, they were building a Stargate big enough for ships to travel through. Um, and they called it a, it was like a super gate or something like that. So I was like, I was getting kind of Stargate vibes when I saw it, but I knew exactly what it was. Like, it's it's a, it's a hyperspace ring and that's fantastic. Uh, but go ahead. Oh, no. And, and then just the fight carrying on into like the, uh, the atmosphere of that planet and the whole... Uh, I've, I'm using layman's terms, but the uh, the whole whale sequence <laughs> with those creatures they're like flying in and out of like uh, that stuff was just all awesome. Like the fight scenes in this episode yeah. held my attention the, this whole time. But what's that? 
The Purgles. Purgles, yes. And they did say that name in the episode. I just uh I yeah. forgot it already. <laughs> and if and if you and if you're just like, what are these things? They were in the Clone Wars, they were in Rebels, and we see them now in Ahsoka, they're there. You know what yeah, I, mean? I remember hearing about them having a big part in Rev in Rebels, actually. But um no, I, I I just thought this was a solid episode. I also really like the um the whole like beginning scene where it's uh you have Ahsoka and Sabine with kind of that uh kind of that fun little training sequence at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Um it's kind of like this is an episode that was mostly space fight stuff but i thought that scene kind of did help fulfill like a little bit of that um fulfill your like hand-to-hand combat sort of fix for that episode but i also think that it's just like kind of fun watching somebody else training to be a jedi and uh since it's a tv show nothing feels rushed you know it feels like you're watching it in real time it's not like um the last jedi where you just get like barely a taste of Ray getting trained. Like, I think we're going to be watching Sabine getting trained for a while, but I think that stuff's uh, really fun as well. So, yeah. uh, Yeah. My, I really wish I understand why they cut her hair, but I really wish they would have left her hair alone. Um, Sabine and rebels had short hair and I get it. But when we saw her at the beginning of the series, I was like, I thought she looked great. And I know the long hair shows passage of time, which is cool but I just thought it looked really good. I'm not a fan of the short hair live action. It's fine. It is what it is. I just am not a fan of the short hair long live action. But I also know she has to put a Mando helmet on at some point. So maybe that's why the short <laughs> hair. But uh, Yeah. Um, I, I kind of dig the short hair myself. But uh, I, I think I was just thinking the same thing. Because when she was pulling out the Mandalorian helmet, I was like, well, what's she going to do with her hair? Um, I didn't know they were going to cut it that short, though. <laughs> So right. I thought it was going to be more of a... Um, it looks like her character from the animated show. So, it, yeah, like I said, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, the only complaint I have right now about Ahsoka, this is, the one, this is my one little quibble, is Rosario Dawson's performance, to me, feels very stoic and rigid comparatively, yeah. comparatively to the animated series Ahsoka. Um, and, it, and that... It's not necessarily in comparison to Ashley Eckstein. I feel like it's a derivative of the animation versus live action. She just seems rigid. And maybe that flushes out. Maybe that changes. But right now, that's my only, that's my only quibble right now. So. Well, this is... I actually wanted to ask you about this, Drew. Because, okay, so when we were at C2E2, we went to the uh, Clone Wars panel where you have, yep. like four of the main voice actors from that show on stage. And I remember Ashley Eckstein talking about why she was cast as Ahsoka. And uh, I, th- I can't, I think she was originally supposed to have an Icelandic accent. I think that's yeah. what she said. And uh, she was trying to audition with the Icelandic accent. And um, she kind of had like this sort of like witty retort to uh, something that, um, yeah, um, it, was the, it was the, you need to do it again because we're not getting what you want. And she's like, um, this is exactly what you told me to do. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, she barked <laughs> back the way they wanted her to. Like, I think they set her up for the make her bark back, make her tell us we're doing it wrong. You know what I mean? I, like, So it's either that or I almost took it like they didn't even know what they wanted until that moment. 
And then they heard her bark back and they're just like, that voice is perfect. No, do that instead. And I just like, like, I'm not the biggest fan of the Clone Wars. I've seen a handful of episodes, but I feel like I just do this show anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not that I, it's not that I don't like it. I just haven't. um, Mm -hmm. Okay. I haven't watched it all, which you definitely knew that was the case. Here we go. (laughs) What's that? I said final show of the top five report. Peter doesn't like the Clone Wars. <laughs> no, I. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I can't. I can't like in good faith say that I'm like the biggest super fan of the show when I haven't watched I it all. That's that's all I'm saying. But my impression of that whole story is that Ahsoka has a level of sass. She has a level level of attitude to her character. And obviously, so- what we're watching in the Ahsoka show is a much older, wiser version of that character. But, Drew, as you've, like, watched Rebels and stuff, I was going to ask, like, do you feel like Rosario Dawson is playing the same character? Because to me, I do feel like she is very stoic and serious, and uh, I just didn't know what to think of the performance at this point, you know? Soka and Rebels is a little more rigid because she's grown up. Yeah. But not to the same extent. And, yeah, years have passed, for sure. You know what I mean? Um, and I just, I don't, I just want a little bit more of the smart assery, if you will, um, because I feel like she needs it, but she's also on a very serious mission right now. And maybe that's what that's about. Like, like I said, the show is great, but there's a reason for everything. And she's taking direction from a guy who's been directing that character since the beginning. So, you know, uh, there's a reason one, one for thing it, and I, I trust and I trust Dave Filoni wholeheartedly with Star Wars. So just keep doing what he's doing, and uh, it's gonna be great. And one thing I was just thinking about is if Star Wars came out, like if the movies came out chronologically, and we had grown up with the uh, prequel version of Obi Wan, and then A New Hope came out after the mm-hmm. prequels, we might have sat down and said, "That's not Obi Wan." <laughs> That's an old, serious man who has no energy. He doesn't have that Obi-Wan yeah. attitude where we're, we're used to. You know, this guy was, he rebelled. He was like, uh, well, actually, Qui-Gon was more of the rebel in episode one. But you know what, I, what I'm saying? Like, he, yeah, I do. We could have had that impression. So it's it's good to keep these things in mind when you're talking about a series like this. Yeah, and that's a good point. So that's why I said it's my only quibble, but it's like I'm trying to not let it get to me. How's that? Um, all right, let's talk about some news, shall we? Yeah. All right. So first off, um, let's cover this real quick. Uh, the Batman part two, uh, will begin filming in March of 2024. I find that interesting when we haven't heard much relief from the strikes. Um, so they must be, if they're going to make an announcement like that, they must be, uh, um, coming to some kind of a conclusion for that. Um, they also say that Clayface will be involved. I've heard rumors about Clayface being one of the uh, main villains of this uh, movie, which a live-action Clayface could be really cool, um, depending on what they're doing. But that also is a more realistic take on it, too, so I'm curious to see how they're going to play on that. Um, yeah. But- the the first uh, The Batman movie had such a realistic take on everything. I have no idea how they're going to do Clayface, but I'm really, really interested how they pull it off. And uh, yeah, just, 
I well, I'm not going to speculate because I could go off on another tangent. But yep. yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how they do this. <laughs> yep, I know. All right. Um, AMC Networks, since we're on the strike concept, AMC Networks have struck a deal with the uh, SAG after a um, strike situation. Um, there's a little more clarity in terms of what they're doing, but three shows, Walking Dead, Daryl Diction, Walking Dead, The Ones Who Live, and Interview the Vampire will uh, resume production um, soon because they struck a deal to get those actors back working. Um, so little by little, we might see shows go back into production. Little by little, we might see movies go back into production because it's not officially done yet. So, yeah. Um, one of the things that I've missed in terms of the strike has been, um, the talk shows. I don't watch all of them, but I like watching the interviews that Fallon does. And I like watching John Oliver and that kind of thing. Um, but Jimmy Kimmel, Seth Meyers, um, Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert, and, uh, John Oliver get together every week and have like a zoom call amongst the five of them. And they just talk. They started recording it from the beginning, and they're like, it's too bad we're recording this. No one's ever going to hear it. Well, they're releasing it as a podcast. It released yesterday. So today's the 31st of August. It released yesterday, August 30th. It's called Strike Force 5, if anyone's interested. I haven't listened to it yet, <laughs> nice. but it sounds awesome. Like, those guys are completely no writers, just off the cuff talking and making fun of each other and whatever the case may be. Some Because it all started with them talking about the strike, and now it's kind of become this thing. Um, and I think that's fantastic. So nice. Um, yeah. All right. Um, let's see here. We're going to I'm going to bounce around a little bit because there's some quick ones. Um, Avengers, Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars reportedly lose their writers. Um, I don't know if this is because of the strike or because of shuffling things all around or if they're like, I'm not working on this. Marvel's too difficult to work for or whatever. I have no clue. Um because this comes from comic book resources and I take it with a grain of salt. But if we're dealing with writers dropout, that's a concern because of how deep they have to plan some of the uh, Marvel stuff, how with the, the intersects and that kind of thing. Now you've mentioned comic book re resources being a uh, site that you have to take what they say with a grain of salt. Is this yep. a confirmed story or is this just a rumor at this point? I they treat like when I read through the article, it sure sounded like they were saying it's a confirmed story uh, Okay. where I was looking at it going. All right. Well, we're in the middle of a writer's strike right now. Um, I don't know if anyone has any clue what's going on. You know, like we're in the we're in the midst of a strike, but somehow they're dropping all kinds of news about stuff because you and I where I thought we were going to have no news to discuss. We for some reason every week have a ton of news to discuss. <laughs> so, yeah. So speaking of uh, uh, Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars lost their writers, Hugh Jackman is set to return for Avengers Secret Wars. Crazy. Yep. Um, and this comes from this one that and that comes from comicbook.com. <laughs> um, so it's just like, what the heck is happening here? And, and he'll reportedly have a major role in the film. OK. But we had lost our writers. Um, <laughs> in the realm of that, um, an early draft of a script for Spider-Man 4 has been written. Okay. All right. Um, 
Chris McKenna and Eric Summers finalize the draft prior to the strike. Tom Holland and Zendaya are both set to return for the fourth film. I'll I'll buy that, that the draft was written because we were talking about them trying to put together Spider-Man 4 for a while. Tom Holland's been wishy-washy with what he wants to do, but there's no way he doesn't want to come back and do Spider-Man. Um, I think there was never not an intention for that to happen, you know, so. So I I think what we're running into, Double negative because, anyway. because you didn't think there was going to be any news, which makes sense because you wouldn't think there'd be that much news during like a huge Hollywood strike, but there's still all these news sites and stuff. And I feel like they're starting to just reach out to people. Yep. <laughs> because they're like, what are we going to write about? Like there's a, there's I have a job now too. writers and actors strike. And then it's just like, well, I don't know. Let's just try reaching out to the writers of Spider-Man four. Let's see what they tell us. And right. uh, that's why we're getting all these weird off the cuff things. I could be wrong, but that's my speculation here. <laughs> yep. No, I'm completely with you. Um, that being said, She-Hulk season two is reportedly being planned at Marvel Studios. And I say this is a good thing. I really enjoyed She-Hulk. I really hope for more. Um, I was hoping it wasn't a one season thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, OK. Uh, Star Wars, the Old Republic gets a brief synopsis. Disney, if you go on to StarWars.com and you go um, and you there's a tab for the Star Wars timeline it lays out um, the Star Wars eras in a chronological order and tells you what fits where. And basically, it's basically a how to watch if you think about it, but it breaks down the eras. Now, James Mangold is going to be writing a he's he's supposed to be working on the Star Wars film that takes place a thousand years before episode one, which is pretty far back. And it's supposed to deal with the uh, the discovery of the force and all that stuff. So that'll be interesting. But when you think about that, we're going to get into Old Republic territory at some point because we also have the TV show The Acolyte that's supposed to be coming out soon, which is going to mm -hmm. deal with the Sith Empire. And if you watch Ahsoka, they make reference to Darth Sion in the second episode of Ahsoka, and which he is one of the scariest Sith that came out of the old Republic um, era in terms of the video games. So digging into some of that legends lore uh, from the star Wars, old um, expanded universe. Um, there's a lot of moving parts right now. So star Wars is getting a complete, like, I don't want to say a complete canon overhaul, but they've kind of laid out some stuff and it sounds like the old Republic is a lot more canon or will be more canon as we move forward. So nice. and I don't know if you heard about that, but I just wanted to bring that up. So if you check out StarWars.com, they have it kind of laid out for you in the timeline sense. And as a timeline, I've always known because it's, it's all context clues. You pay attention to the details. It's yeah. all there, you know. Um, all right. Nice. Uh, Nicholas Cage Ghost Rider will report, reportedly appear in a future MCU project. <laughs> um, if I had to guess, it's. Deadpool three, um, because right or or is it going to be Secret Wars? Because apparently it, everybody's going to be in that movie. Apparently too. everyone's going to be in Secret Wars too. But like, if I had to guess, it's going to be Deadpool three. But I'm not going to be surprised if Nicolas Cage had to have seen the Flash and said, "Hey, they put my Superman in this movie over here. <laughs> you need to put my Ghost Rider back in somewhere." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how do I make this happen? Um. But yeah, 
So if uh, I'll just throw something out there. Last week, I did mention that me and my friends had a joke that, you know, like um, they're doing a Ghost Rider, uh, you know, bringing the Ghost Rider into the MCU. Why don't they just bring Nick Cage into Deadpool 3? Again, this is not confirmed, but I might have called it. So (laughs) there you go. You hear it here first. That's all I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Clearly, people are listening. Um, (laughs) All right. So I got two things. All right. A couple things here. First off. I ran into this thing on Twitter. Um, I don't know if you saw. Um, nope, not that. Um, I don't know if you saw the. Uh, oh, did I not screenshot that? I guess I didn't. Um, I don't know if you saw my. Uh, I had a tweet. I started talking to this guy on Twitter about. Um, DC movies um, a little bit. We We went back and forth a little bit. There's this guy I found on Twitter who I literally it's it's completely stumbled across me. His name's Kyle. Um, it's just Kyle on Twitter or Kyle and Decky or however you say his last name. He said, and this is interesting. This is his tweet to all Batman versus the Superman defenders. I would like to apologize for all the times I have hated on the movie. It's clear to me now that when I watched it the first time, first couple years ago, I never truly paid attention. I still think the movie is slightly sloppy in some areas. However, I really enjoyed the movie. The third act in particular was absolutely incredible. Seeing the perspective from both Clark and Bruce, how they saw each other up until the fight was very well, was done very well. The visuals were incredible from start to finish. I will never hate on it again. I have in the past. Again, I apologize and I hope the fans accept. And I I responded to him and uh, there's a little bit of back and forth. Um, But... From his tweet, so first off, Kyle, um, I am so glad that um, you said this, and it literally sparked this massive chunk of stuff on the internet where, like, people were, like, it was, like, people were jumping on the bandwagon and goes, yes, the movie's great, the movie's great, the movie's great, just rewatch, blah, 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 and then suddenly all this anti-DC hate started coming out. Yeah. You know what I mean? This like we like the movies, you know, it's all there, you know, that kind of thing. And I would think this kind of predicated off the fact that uh, Vanity Fair posted an article saying, where have all the D.C. fans gone? Um, And some guy uh, responded with, uh, yep, all of this. And he said the first six movies, which had heavy, heavy involvement from Zach, are all the top 10 highest grossing D.C. movies all of all time after that when zach was gone and wb decided to change it up i tried to they tried to copy the mcu they just started to lose more and more money and then he's got the box office dollars for all of it um and then this other guy was like in response to the where all the dc fans gone he said warner brothers treated their directors like garbage recut their films and blamed them for their response ray fisher's treatment the batgirl cancellation when the movie was finished bringing in actors, announcing progress, then tossing them away. <laughs> yeah. Um, reactionary, inconsistent, and insecure. All of this is correct. You know what I mean? It's I've been seeing a lot of this. And the guy who was the who uh, basically said, I apologize for whining about Batman Superman, he posted a tweet and said, hey, The Flash is streaming. I guess I'm going to have to give this movie a rewatch. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's literally yeah. like, I'm going to have to go back and reevaluate because I'm seeing the light on this. Like, these movies are actually good. And you and I have been there championing in this whole time and being like, guys, there's more to this than you think there is. Stop hating on DC. 
Yeah. Um, I think the tables are literally taking a turn right now. And I'm really curious to see how it shakes out with like, you know, the James Gunn movies and stuff like that. So I just thought it was really cool um, that, you know, that's a thing. No, anyway. no, it, it's it's awesome. I did see that guy, that one guy's tweet. And I actually think I retweeted something from him where he was saying that uh, he's like, upon repeat viewing, I actually don't think that the Martha scene is that bad. And um I know I retweeted that to just put my two cents in because I actually think when you break it down, um, it makes it's more sense. Mar- it's what the Martha scene is about. Like I get, look, I get both their dads are both their moms are named Martha and it was kind of clunky how that played. But if you, but that's not like, there's a real importance to what that scene was about. And so, so basically what I said and what my argument is, is, Batman is about to stab Superman in the neck with a kryptonite spear. Like Superman's like about to die. And he could say two things. He could say, you're letting them, you're letting them kill my mother or you're letting them kill Martha. And when he says Martha, I think that's an instant signifier to Batman. that It's a trigger. It's a trigger word. Well, it's, it's like, and Wait, why would like why would you say that name? Like literally, like what? Why would you say that right now? You know, but but not not even the fact that his mother's the same name because like that is a really crazy coincidence. But also that he said the name of a human because remember Batman's thinking right. this guy's an alien, he's a menace, I need to take him out. And then when he says that, it just humanizes everything from where Clark comes from, and it's one of those things like well, I think people don't. I think I think you're like almost there. Continue what you're saying, but I I have a reason for saying this. Go ahead. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Like, no, I'll tell you. I'll tell you my point. Just continue what you're saying because I'm with you, but I think you're like half there. So go ahead. Or do you want me to just go? I, you can go ahead because now okay. I'm kind of curious. Okay. Um, my, like, I think when he said Martha, it was a trigger word that made Batman go, hold on a second. Why would you say that? And then yeah. that's when Lois Lane says it's the name of his mother, which brings in the human aspect of it that you're talking about. It's the, oh, hold on a second. Well, you know, so the coincidence of our moms being named the same is literally like, why would you say my mom's name? Clark might not have not. He might not have even have known that that's Bruce Wayne's mom's name. Well, that, that, that was my that was my point is he wasn't necessarily like knowing that's Bruce's mom's name, but it's something that he could say that instantly shows that he is one he's he's on he's on earth's side he's he's on your side man like and uh um sorry you're you're kind of you're kind of catching me up because i so so my point is it's lois lane's comment to me because batman's like why would you say that and then she's like it's so, the name of his mom and he's like holy shit no, you know like that's the so so I, I'm 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 right on the same page as you. Yeah. Um I'm not necessarily like denying anything you're saying. I think I'm just like thinking of it at, at a different angle because to me, like watching that scene, it's just all about like Superman's about to die. Like Clark's about to die and he has one thing to say. And to me, like a lot of people are like, why did he say Martha? Why didn't he say like you're letting me kill my mother? And my my thing all along was like, if he says you're letting him them kill my mother, Batman would just be thinking, oh, that's another 
your mother's alien scum as well. But he says Martha, and that instantly shows that his mother's a human, like he has a human up upbringing. And maybe Bruce didn't realize all this in that moment, but it was enough. Like you said, it's a triggering word. It's enough to trip him up. And I think like people don't give Superman enough credit for being an intelligent character, but he is a character. He does have superhuman intellect like that is one of his powers. And he is somebody who I think would be able to think fast enough in that moment to say to say the right thing, if you will. So um, I, I'm definitely on the same page as you. I wasn't trying to argue against. Oh, I think I, I got a little bit tripped We're up. Saying the same said, thing. We're saying the same thing. I think the humanizing moment comes when she when she says it's his mom because he puts it into perspective. But the triggering word, because if you go all the way back to the beginning of the movie and he has that like nightmare of his parents dying. No, I... <laughs> You know, they, they mention the name and then it cuts back so, to so, like, really, it's a callback to the front of the movie. That's all. No. So so I'm I'm agreeing. Let's with argue you. about I'm, it. I'm, say the same thing. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I just think it's the whole thing. But I'm just giving credit to like specifically the use of the word Martha, which is like the really divisive part. I know. Um, I, I do feel like I was caught a little bit off guard because actually talking to a lot of people, I think I've actually put a lot more thought to that, that scene than most anybody I've talked to about it. And not, that doesn't include you, Drew, because I know you've watched this movie tons of times and analyzed it. Um, but you saying like I was halfway there, that kind of uh, tripped me up a little bit. So that's oh. probably why I was like blanking out a little bit there. Well, I didn't but, mean uh, to. It's just because you didn't bring up Lois Lane and I'm like, hold on a second. Wait, you're forgetting a part of this. <laughs> Oh no 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 no! I I definitely agree with uh with that aspect of it though. So, um, let's move on because no, they didn't want to sit and listen to us whine and moan about Batman versus Superman. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Rebel Moon. Uh, we talked last week about how um it's gonna get a director's cut apparently, and I was having trouble justifying in a streaming world why are we getting a director's cut of Rebel Moon. Um, like, just give me the whole movie. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got some uh, clarification on here. Rebel Moon will get two cuts. One of them is a PG-13 movie version that anyone can enjoy and watch, while the other is strictly meant for older audiences and will have an hour rating and will have an extra hour of footage. Or a rated R. It's, it'll be rated R. Uh, extra hour of footage. So you have a PG-13 version and you'll have a rated R version. I know which one I'm watching, but um, that makes me understand why there's the two versions, because they're like, we want everyone to be able to watch this. But he also wants to tell his story the way he wants to tell his story. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's super random. I don't know why they wouldn't just do the, <laughs> the rated R version, you know, but uh, I know. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then normally I tell you to watch trailers for stuff and I completely forgot in terms of prepping for the show. But did you by any chance watch the trailer for The Killer? No, it's the new David Fincher movie uh, with Michael Fassbender. Oh, um, I heard about this, but yeah, I hadn't watched it yet. The trailer's out. It looks incredible. It really, really looks incredible. Um, And I love David Fincher. Like, I don't know if there's a David Fincher movie that I... I don't think I've ever seen a David Fincher movie I haven't just absolutely loved from beginning to end. So um, I cannot wait. It's going to be select theaters um, at the end of September and then early October it's hitting Netflix. So I'll be able to watch it like at home, which would be great. But 
um, in all seriousness, like I, this movie looks fantastic. Um, another trailer that I'm going to recommend you go watch is the trailer for Ferrari, um, which is basically a life story of the, of Ferrari, the guy who made the cars. Um, the reason I'm going to say watch the trailer is because it is, first off, it's directed by Michael Mann, who directed like Heat and, um, Collateral, uh, you know, those those movies just really cool. Uh, Michael Mann's a fantastic director, but the trailer starts. There's no sound in the trailer except for. The sound of the engine of the car, hmm. and it's just it's it's like the sound of the engine just revving through the entire thing, and it's getting louder and louder and louder as you're watching this trailer. You can't hear the dialogue because you, you can see people are saying words. You can see them fighting. You can see them arguing. You can see cars on tracks, whatever. It's nonstop car engine noise all the way to the end of the trailer. And then there's, like, one line of dialogue, and they show you the title. But, like, just the trailer is fantastic. It's, like, the trailer is amazing. So it just it gives me high hope. So Michael Mann's a great director, but... I just thought that was kind of cool. So check out the Ferrari trailer because of the artistic quality of the trailer itself. And then watch the killer trailer because you're going to want to see this movie because it's David Fincher <laughs> and it's just, it's David Fincher. So, yeah. No, that, that, that that's awesome. I think we live in a time where 99% but my dog just barked at something and he never does. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, we live in a time where uh, 99% of uh, trailers are like exactly the same. You know, you have like a uh, edgy version of an old pop song or classic rock song in the background. Yeah. You have like the same kind of like montage sequences going on. So when somebody's actually getting creative with a trailer like that, that's just awesome to hear. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Well, that brings us to the end of the news, man. So we are going to talk about tonight's list. Sound good? Yeah. All right. It Let's is list it. time. So we're going to roll the thing and we'll be right back. Right, Peter. Here we are. This this week was my list. Um, I last week I said I wanted to do this list, and you said, "Didn't we do that already?" So I scoured our list for the fourth time because I literally double checked it a lot before I said <laughs> it, and then I rechecked it. All right. So tonight we're talking about series finales. Okay. So we've all watched TV. We've all had shows we binged all the way to the final episode, and a lot of times that final episode gets um, raked over the coals. And um, and people like whine and complain and say it's the worst thing on the face of the planet and they get angry about it like a very specific recent show ended and people hated it. Um, that being said, um, I thought it'd be fun to talk about our favorite series finales. However, if you look back at the history of our show, take a look at episode 129. That's the episode we covered our favorite pilot episodes. So our very favorite firsts, right? Our first episodes for TV. Episode 261 is the one we discussed our favorite season openers. So not first episodes, but the season openers for the later seasons. And then tonight's episode 263, we're talking about our favorite series finale. So if you dig into our archives, you can check out those other ones to see how we picked them out. But I uh, found this list a lot harder than I thought to put together. I don't know about you, but I did. 
Yeah, I uh, I find it, found it kind of hard too. But uh, the joke I said last week is it'll be interesting to see what TV shows we both actually stuck with the whole way through. <laughs> and that was definitely uh, my challenge was uh, there's a lot of shows I've watched and that I've liked, but you always start a show and like there's always those shows that you fall off a couple seasons in because you're just like you're not getting what you originally wanted out of it anymore or something like that. So my my short list was a lot shorter than I expected, I think. But um, I think I've got a good list um, and I uh, I might have chosen a couple of those uh, controversial <laughs> series finales as well. But we can get into that a little bit later. <laughs> I, right, and I hear you. Um, I do have two honorable mentions. What about you? I have none. <laughs> really? Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so the first honorable mention um, is a animated show called Invader Zim. Um, I absolutely love this show, and I don't know if I want to say it's a ser- series finale so much as it is a final episode of the show. But that episode is titled The Most Horrible Christmas Ever. And this is the one where Zim tries to take over and become Santa Claus because he knows that the best way to take over the planet would be to become Santa because Santa technically rules the world. (laughs) Yeah, this this is an awesome episode. I had no idea this was the uh, the series finale, though. So that's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it was funny. I was looking at, I was looking, I'm like, shows that I own, shows that I bought DVDs for, that kind of thing. I'm like, oh yeah, Invader Zim. What was the final episode of Invader Zim? I'm like, oh, it was the Christmas episode was the final episode? Fantastic. <laughs> because I That's absolutely great. love that episode. That's a show where like it started out so well, like everything about it was fantastic. It was like middle of season two, it started to get a little extra weird. And then it was like the back half of season three, it just got amazing again, like back to form. So, um, but yeah, the final episode being the most horrible Christmas ever. Um, I just love it. Um, all right. So my second honorable mention, ah, man, this is tough. All right. It's really comes down to, um, it really comes down to which one of these I decide to make a pick versus an honorable mention. And I've been, these are the ones I've been going back and forth in my head. Um, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip these on my sheets. Yeah. All right. So my next honorable mention is the show Lost. Um, did you make it to the end of Lost? Oh yeah. Okay. The, um, the episode is titled The End. Um, Lost, um, I really enjoyed the show all the way through. Um, Lost was a controversial ending because I think a lot of people didn't, I, I, I still to this day think this, that a lot of people did not understand the ending of the show. Um, they're just like, it's the argument of, well, they weren't on the island at all. Like, no, they were on the island. If you pay attention to the show, everything that happened on the island actually happened. They're like, yeah. well, what about this? And like, people are, st- they try start pointing stuff out, but this is that thing where, they be- the writers believe that their audience is smarter than they wanted, that they thought. Well, like, we know our audience is smart. We're going to go with this, whatever. The, the show is really well put together in general. There's a lot of things where that show is all over the place and a lot of diff- different concepts and ideas. And having to bring it all together it was a tall order. Um, and it was an impossible task because there was a lot of hype revolved around it. But... They had a very bittersweet ending that made complete sense when you put it all into perspective. And 
um, if you paid real close attention, you knew what was going on. And it, I thought the finale was a great family heartfelt moment about everything when you put it all into perspective. So I wanted to mention Lost as an honorable mention. Um, I Every time I want to give the show a rewatch, every time I think about giving the show a rewatch, it comes up in conversation and then we have to have a conversation about the ending. And then I'm like, well, now I remember the ending too well. I don't want to give the show a rewatch. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. Thoughts on this? Lost, yeah. No, Lost is a great show. There's so many subplots and stuff that I forgot about from Lost. So I know if I rewatched it, I would have a blast. And it's one of those things, I think back in the day, I, it was either the Sci-Fi Channel or uh, G4 that would just play random episodes of Lost all the time. And every once in a while, I would try to uh, tune in, you know, and it would be like a random episode from season three. And I'd just be watching it. And I'd be like... I do not remember what was going on at all, but uh, Lost is a little special for me because it's definitely like the show that kind of taught me to appreciate TV as like full series go. Like it taught me to, if you're going to watch a TV show and watch it right, you're going to watch every episode and you're going to watch it in order and you're going to pick up on all the details and subplots. So Lost is really uh, special for me um, in that way. And uh, the one thing I'll say about the finale is, yes, a lot of people don't like the ending. A lot of people say, oh, they were dead the whole time. And it's like, no, that's they not were. what no. happened. You know, it was like the uh, the flash sideways from like the last season was the characters like in this sort of like created purgatory dimension, however you want to phrase it. But yep. again, like you said, Drew, everything on the island actually happened. But Watching Lost, um, for me, the the little bit where I think they missed the boat on the final episode was Lost as a series where I feel like the main, there was always like this huge debate about like faith versus science. Are you a man of faith? Are you a man of science? And I feel like those themes are so intricate throughout the whole series. And you watch the, uh, the season or the series finale there's like two endings. There's the ending on the island and the ending off of the island. And in my opinion, both endings kind of lent more to the spiritual route of things. And there was nothing for the man of science crowd at the end, if that makes sense. And I feel like that might be why it's a little unbalanced. But that's kind of like more of a thematic analysis than the specific instances of the series, if that makes sense. Correct. I agree. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And yes, they were not in purgatory. <laughs> well, I, I, say, I was saying like a purgatory-like state, well, like you know. The, the flash, the sideways, the, the flash sideways was like a purgatory state because of the... Yeah, island. yeah, that's, and then that's what I was saying, yeah. The, the island was making them connected, so as the characters died on the island or during the events of the story... They were put into this purgatory state because the island connected them all together, so they had to move on together. But everything that happened yes. on the island happened. And if you remember the show, which I, I said this from the beginning, the lottery numbers on the show were 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, and 42. Now, I didn't look that up. I just remember that, okay? What's interesting about those lottery numbers is at the very beginning of the show, when the plane crashes on the island, there's 47 survivors. At the end of the very first season, there are 42 survivors left. Okay? 
I said right. at the end of the first season, I go, I'm willing to bet you the lottery numbers, even though we don't fully understand what they are yet, which we find out later. There's a lot of aspects of the lottery numbers. The um, I, I said, I believe the lottery numbers are a countdown to something. And by the end of the show, if you pay attention, four people get off the island safely. Which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway, there's a lot to loss. There's a lot to Very there. The show is fantastic um, in general. So everyone should watch it. Anyway, what's your first actual pick of the night? Yeah, I could keep Since it pretty quick. you have no honorable mentions. Yeah, I could keep it pretty quick because I actually went with uh, with Lost. Lost and uh, <laughs> we just had an in-depth discussion about it, but we also barely scratched the surface. But uh, the only last thing I'll say about Lost, because like I said, we just were talking about it a lot, is... Uh, this is a series finale that really gave us an eternal discussion. As you can tell from the podcast tonight, this is a series finale that not everybody liked, but we're still talking about it to this day. And that's that's what's awesome about it. Yeah. And if you watch the movie 40, uh, this is 40, the uh, Judd Apatow film with Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann, their daughter is watching Lost like an addict and like that's all she wants to do is watch lost and it's great because like when she finally gets to the last episode of the show and she's like they're all dead oh my god and she's like crying and like all upset she's like this is the most amazing show ever like you know and he's like <laughs> and they're all like dealing with this big family situation he's like i don't have time for this lost stuff right now and she's like you don't understand <laughs> you know <laughs> nice <laughs> it's awesome anyway um, all right, so my next one is the next controversial show to discuss tonight, and that is Game of Thrones. Um, nice. The series finale is titled The Iron Throne. If you go back and listen to our Game of Thrones episode, which I didn't pull the number on this one for, but if you go back and listen to it, because you and I, we did a big breakdown of the ending of the show. We did a big breakdown of the show altogether, that kind of thing. I defend this final episode. I know there are Game of Thrones finale haters out there, and I get it. Look, you like the episode, you don't. Here's the thing, and I'm not going to go on a big diatribe about it. I liked the show. What I didn't, I watched the show three times. I watched the episode three sits before I was willing to talk to anyone about it. And my phone was exploding the moment the episode ended, like, and I'm like, I'm not responding. And, you know, my wife is like on the phone with friends and she's like, Andy's not talking. He's not talking. He's he's just literally started the episode over like he's watching it again. You know what I mean? There's so much there that. You had to unpack with that episode, but they had like an impossible task to end that show. They had impossible concepts they had to cover. They had to like close like all these loops that were still open they had like the first 10 minutes of the episode is Tyrion walking through the city after the attack. And I'm like, this is how we're ending game of Thrones. Like you guys spent 10 minutes on this. Like this is the last game of Thrones ever. Like what's happening here. Um, you know, that went through my mind. Um, there's a lot of chunks of that episode that I called where I was like, the throne's going to get melted down. Like there's not going to be a throne. It's going to yeah. happen. I just my my idea for why the throne was going to get melted down was different than what happened in the show. But I was correct. The throne got melted down. Um, who was on the Iron Throne at the end? Um, I think people overlooked the fact that it's, you know, yes, Bran was named king. But at the end of the day, Bran is basically letting Tyrion rule the kingdom. Um, there's little things like that that I think are being overlooked when people like look at it. Um, 
to not go too deep because we could do like a whole like real deep dive if we wanted to, but not to go too deep. I think the show did a really nice job of doing what it needed to do. And I think the creators told us before we were walking into the finale of what we were getting and we got exactly what they said. So you can disagree with it all you want, but the creators told us before the episode started what we were getting and we got exactly what they told us. So ultimately as much as we all didn't know what to say. And I haven't gone back and watched in a while. And I kind of want to rewatch knowing how it ends and watching it play out. But at the end of the day, I like what we got. And I'm excited for more Game of Thrones world. I mean, you know, House of the Dragon season two is still on the brink. of It's still coming, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Game of Thrones, the Iron Throne. So we matched on this episode okay. as well. Um, this is my other controversial one. I didn't think I was going to get both of these out of the way, but um, I'm somebody who likes the uh, series finale to Game of Thrones. Uh, as you've said, Drew, it's uh, not necessarily the most popular opinion, but sure. as somebody who, for the most part, binged through the whole series, I thought it was a satisfying ending. I thought it was really cool. I think there's a lot of people who, waiting between seasons really were um, overanalyzing Game of Thrones. And it is a very intricate series, so, like, it does deserve that analysis. But I think people's expectations got ahead of them. And then when the the final season didn't address every little question you had about the series, a lot of people really hated on the way that the series ended. But... Looking at just the characters themselves, I was actually really satisfied. Like, I always, watching the series, like, episode after episode, you really do get that sense that uh, Daenerys is capable of what she did in the final season. Um, when you talk about somebody like Jon Snow, a lot of people were mad that he didn't become king. But you watch the series, and it's like him as a character and everything he went through and everything he learned... I don't think he ever would have been king, you know, and it's one of those things. The people who should be leading the world are the ones who don't want to, you know, because they're the ones who are humble and smart and uh, stuff like that. But that's usually not the way that things work out. And uh, not to go on and on, because I think you said a lot of really good things there, Drew. The one thing that I defend is Tyrion suggests Bran to be king, and this is something that a lot of people got mad, especially at the line of Tyrion saying, who has a better story than Bran? Because a lot of people hear that line and they're like, so many people <laughs> I know. so many people in the show have better stories. But the thing you have to remember is this is Tyrion, and he's going to say, he's. I kind of saw it as like, Tyrion's the kind of guy who would BS his way through the situation come up with some thing that's going to settle the most people down and that's going to be the most agreeable. And as you said, Drew, the situation that's going to put him out um, in the best way possible as well. And I think it's, I think that's an instance of Tyrion being a master BSer that people are taking way too seriously. And uh, I, I mean, I think... This is a series where once they stopped having the books to base it on, which I think is like season seven and eight, or is it six, seven and eight? Um, they started getting ahead of the books. There's probably some clunky moments that you can dissect. But as a whole, I really was satisfied with this series. And I did love the uh, series finale. And uh, 
some people don't like it, but that one moment at the end when you see Daenerys and you see the dragon fly behind her and the wings and it almost looks like she grows wings for a second. I think that shot was genius. Like that was so cool. So yeah, good yeah. stuff. <laughs> all right. Um, so that brings back to me. Um, all right. So my next one is the Clone Wars. Sweet. Um, the episode is titled victory and death. Now, Unfortunately, there are technically three episodes that encompass the final moments of Clone Wars because the way they structured it, with this was the really cool thing, is that the, the final four episodes of the Clone Wars, the fourth to the last episode you watch, and it explains Anakin and Obi-Wan leaving the war front to go back to Coruscant because episode three is happening. Okay? So they're going to leave the war to go back to Coruscant because they have to defend and rescue the Chancellor, Right. So then you watch episode three and then you jump back to Clone Wars and you watch the final three episodes of Clone Wars, which covers the entire. Um, it covers the um, siege of Mandalore and explains everything that happened, the, the situation with Ahsoka and Darth Maul and all that stuff. And at the end of the episode, at the end of the, the final moments is a chilling moment when Darth Vader lands on the planet because Anakin is going back to find out what happened with Ahsoka on Mandalore. It's incredible. Um, but it is like those final three episodes rolled all together into one moment. Like you have to, you know, like you really, Peter, you need to get caught up so you can watch <laughs> just, just so you can watch the finale of the Clone Wars and how that all played out. It's so good. Um, and it's like literally Star Wars at its absolute best. Um, nice. And that, it's just, it's amazing. And it's like, you want to watch those episodes just over and over and over again. They're just incredible. Anyway, yeah, Clone Wars. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right, man. What do you got for me? Yeah. So um, let's see. I'll go with, uh, I went with the Friends uh, series finale, um, oh. which is, which is a two part episode. I think it's, it's called the one where it ends. I might have that wrong. Actually but, titled uh, the last one, part one and last one, part two. It's not the one where, because I feel like all the episodes have the one where. It's titled the last blank. one. They all do. It's the one where Ross, the following one with Rachel, <laughs> whatever, the one with blah, 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 blah. But the final episode is the last one. I looked it up. I looked up all the titles of my episode yeah. before uh, we started the show. So Okay, fair enough. I, I, I definitely did, didn't do that. I did look it up um, the other day, and for some reason I thought it was the one where it ends, but no, that, that's fair. Um, I was saving so yeah, the matched on this, by the way. I was saving it for the end, but we can talk about it now. So. Oh, really? <laughs> my bad, my bad. Um, no, I, I just think this is a great two-parter. I think you have a lot of great moments. You have the... Uh, reuniting of Ross and Rachel's friendship that goes through a really clunky, um, you know, lots of different uh, disparaging moments, but they end up coming together at the end. You have all the characters kind of moving on. You have uh, Chandler and Monica are moving. You have the um, you have the dismantling of the uh, the foosball table because the uh, I can't remember if, the, if it was the chick or the duck or both get caught in it, but all the um, stuck in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's I, I think it was just a really good send off to the characters. Um, and I think uh, when you watch it, I feel like Joey and Phoebe are the biggest wild cards where it's just like, well, what are they going to be doing after this? But I do think that, uh, yeah, I think it was a good send off. And this is one of the few sitcoms that I've watched the whole way through, you know, and actually 
committed to watching the uh <laughs> watching the series finale a lot of sitcoms uh at least for me i kind of uh watch them when i see them you know i don't necessarily commit to the full like uh yeah. completest route with them if you will so yeah um so the thing with friends for me is i like to argue that friends is a perfect television show like perfect like everything about it is fantastic when you look at like the writing's great the casting was great the story arcs were great where they were talking the season story arcs with the single episodes everything was great and a lot of it was done at the seat of their pants. They plotted out a lot, but at the same thing is the seat of its pants. Um, and the big thing about the the finale is that every everything that you thought about with friends got tied together in a nice bow in the final episode. Everything comes full circle. Yeah. Final episode. Like legitimately, the entire show is one giant full circle because of that finale. They tied up all the loose ends. They set everyone off in a meaningful way. Everyone had their, like, and I know you don't want to tie everything into a happy little bow, but everyone got a happy ending. Everyone got a, like, everything got handled properly in those, in that finale. And it may, it's like, so when you watch the Friends reunion and they talked about it, like, what would you think, like, would you ever do a reunion episode? And Jennifer Aniston said, the one reason why we wouldn't want to do like a reunion episode, like we come back and do like a movie or like a made for TV thing, like a two part or something, is that you have to unpack all those lives that they set everybody on. So that happy ending you have is no longer a happy ending, which makes it a, like a completely immortal show if you think about it. And if you look at television, it's an immortal show because it's on constantly. So, um, yeah, there is there definitely is something to be said for when something ends and it's tied into a into a pretty little bow. You don't have to revisit it. <laughs> and a lot of cases, I feel like a lot of other TV and movie series don't realize that. So that's actually really cool that they have that level of restraint with friends, because uh, everything you said there was right. Like they did tie everything together really nicely, you know? Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, it's it's great. And I just it's one of my absolute favorite episodes of television in general because the show's great too. So nice. Yeah. Anyway, we matched. But what is uh yeah, two more episodes, man. What do you got for me? So I didn't really cheat, but I sort of cheated with my list. Ooh, you cheated <laughs> because <laughs> No, it's it's definitely not cheat, because it definitely counts, but uh I may or may not have delved into some anime series to round my list off. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and I didn't necessarily mean to save them for last, but uh, you talked about things like Lost and Game of Thrones. So sorry to talk about Friends, but those two I was, was saving for last. But um, the first one I wanted to mention is actually the uh, the series finale to Death Note. Um, OK, which, Drew, I know we've talked about. You said you've you've watched Death Note, right? Yeah. OK. And I, I like. Death Note's one of those things that I binged through, and I can't remember if it was one or two seasons, because I know I watched the whole thing, but the, sure, it's a I'm series. I'm pretty sure it was two. Okay, okay, so you so you did watch, so you watched after, okay, spoiler alert, you've seen after L dies? Yeah. Okay, okay, cool. That's the one thing, because uh, I was kind of nervous talking about this one, because I... I thought like you might have watched it on a streaming service that didn't have the whole series. So that's the only thing I was nervous oh. about. Um, 
but death and note now you have is... me, and now you have me questioning my viewing of death note but that's okay no no not not at all because i just wasn't well, you sure said that, because... well, you said that i was like uh oh maybe i didn't but no 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 <laughs> no you're all good i think it's uh a lot of people talk about death note where when spoiler happens that i just mentioned uh, a lot of people feel like the series should have ended there, and that feels like the natural ending. And the series continues oh. going for another season. And uh, they even have like a character, I think his name was Nier, who's like a uh, orphan kid who's kind of like L two, like he's like the <laughs> second iteration of L, you know. Um, yeah. But after that moment happens when L dies, I'm spoiling so much here. The series isn't necessarily as good but it still does have that really intricate smart level of uh detective work and you have l or i mean you have light as the character kira who's working against law enforcement and all these crazy detectives and stuff but the biggest reason i went with the uh series finale of death note for my list is because you watch death note and you have L, and he literally, like, inherits the power to kill anyone in the world that he wants to. Like, he he receives this notebook from a death, a death god, and he can write somebody's name in it while envisioning how they look, and that person will pass away shortly after he, he does that. And uh, he basically goes on to play god throughout the whole series. And uh, the thing is, when it comes to how this series ends you know it's not going to turn out well. Like, eventually, Light is going going to see his demise. But when it finally reaches that point, I remember just being heartbroken. I was like, man, I just wish, <laughs> like, I wish thematically the series could say, it's okay to play God, because I didn't want to see the events of the end of the series unfold. So I had that, like, heartbreaking effect on me, the way that this series ended. Um, sure. And that's, like... I'm spoiling a lot, but I'm keeping things vague as well. But the other thing I'll say is Death Note. I love the series because it's a uh, it's an anime. It's also a manga and it deals with intricate detective work. It deals with um, some politics. It deals with a lot of scheming. It's not the most action packed thing. And a lot of people go to uh, anime and animated series and stuff for action. And Death Note isn't the most action packed thing. But when it comes to depicting a character like Light writing people's names in a notebook to make them die, it doesn't sound like you could depict, depict that very dynamically or excitingly on screen. But the series does it so well, and especially when it comes to the... Uh, the final episodes when uh, law enforcement has cornered him and stuff and his reactions to things and the way they depict him writing in the in the death note. I think they they pulled off an impossible thing where you can make somebody writing in a notebook look like this action packed, exciting, dynamic thing. And I, I think that was kind of just impressive to see in general. So. Yeah, Death Note. I think I might have said L instead of Light a few times in my description, so my apologies there. But yeah, this this one was just a great one. So yeah, and now you have me questioning. And the only reason you said that is like, what if the streaming service I watched and it didn't have it? I'm pretty, no, I, I swear <laughs> to God, I saw that episode, so I had no, to. no, no, Drew, Drew. I th I think you're good. I just um, I for some reason I was worried they'd only have the first season and you would have only seen up until when L dies. 
And that that was that was the only thing I wanted to clear up. But I'm I'm sure you watched the whole thing. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um. Yeah. All right. So my next one is the uh, the show Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, oh, nice. Series finale is titled All Good Things. Um, this is another two-parter. This is uh, Picard in the future. Check this out. Picard in the future is going through a mental breakdown where he's like, it's a disease where like, it's it's kind of like a sci-fi version of Alzheimer's where your brain is like bouncing through time and you're kind of like reliving like certain moments from your past and everything. And as you go through, you see stuff from like the very first mission to stuff well beyond you never got to see and you got to see enterprises and different starships that don't exist yet because they haven't let future events that haven't happened bouncing back and forth and as they bounce back and forth they're like collecting the crew like where they are in their lives and these different timelines and basically putting the crew back together and you're seeing the show through this like prism right but then you turn it turns around and you find out that it's not a disease he's going through he's actually being it's actually uh, manipulation from Q who was testing Picard the whole show because Q was like using Picard as kind of like a guinea pig to test the human condition, if you will. Um, And it's, it's one of the, and like, you don't have to, you honestly do not have to watch the entirety of Star Trek, the next generation to watch it. You could, you literally could watch those two episodes and treat it like a Star Trek movie and you know, everything you need to know. And it's great. Um, I had a lot of fun watching it. I actually rewatched it because I, I remember telling someone they had to see it. And like we sat down and just watched the final episode of Star Trek. Um, but seriously, if you get a chance, like I think the whole show itself is great. But if you get a chance, Star Trek Next Generation finale is fantastic. So nice. Yeah, I uh, I haven't watched this one myself, but uh, sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, so on to my last pick for the night. Um, This is actually another anime, (laughs) but this is actually the first pick I wrote down. It I had to write it down. It's definitely uh, one of my favorite um, series finales of all time. And that is the finale to the uh, 1997 anime Berserk. Uh, Drew, I've talked about this before this episode. Um, I'm going to spoil things a little bit, but I'll try to keep it as vague as possible because this is a great series. I, I think everybody not, should. I watch. still have yet to watch this show, but you talk about it enough on here that I <laughs> probably should watch it. So I don't want to go on too long, but uh, <laughs> I mentioned Lost was a series that uh, made me love TV from an episodic sense to where I was like, oh no, you got to watch every episode. Berserk did that for me with anime because before Berserk, I was more of like, you know, I'd, I'd catch an episode of Dragon Ball here and there and I'd like some of the uh, sure. anime movies. But Berserk, I remember watching and being like, oh, this is like Lost. Like, you got to watch every episode and get into it. But I feel like you were going to ask a question there for a second. No, I was not. Go ahead. Sorry. I was oh, just, I, OK. I, I thought I heard you sure, I'm with you. Go ahead. <laughs> OK. So anyways. Berserk is a series that uh, it's a medieval fantasy series. It's very dark. Um, it's very violent, but it it is smart on that level of like there's some political intrigue there. There is some uh, some weird like behind the scenes motivations with characters that are mysterious and stuff. But it's a series that starts off and uh, 
the very first episode, you have the main character, Guts, who's like this badass, just like traveling swordsman with this huge sword. And uh, at the beginning of the first episode, you see him fight off this uh, crazy snake demon guy. And it's like this crazy uh, sequence. And then from there, you go into a flashback. And you go into the to this flashback where the, your main character meets... Um, Griffith, who is this leader of this traveling warrior band called the Band of the Hawk, and uh, it's basically the story of, of how this character Griffith recruits uh, Guts into his warrior band, and he joins this this group, and they fight in a lot of battles, and it's one of the... The reason I'm kind of giving this backstory is this is, is a series where the very first episode, there's like a crazy demon fight at the end of it. Then you go into this flashback, and everything from there is straightforward, just like medieval battles, like no, like not a lot of supernatural stuff, like nothing crazy, just a lot of cool medieval storytelling, you know, very grounded stuff. And then you get to the last episode of the series. And I think it was only one season. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was only one season. And you get to the very <laughs> last episode and uh, you have a character in the series who basically sells out everybody else and uh basically um he basically sells everybody out to a group of demons to become like you know in his own quest for power and you see the series that was very grounded mid medieval battle stuff turn into the craziest smorgasbord of just gory monstrous craziness for one episode. And it, it was just so bizarre to see this series where it's like super grounded, cool medieval stuff. All of a sudden you're watching just millions of demons. The whole landscape gets completely transformed in the last episode. The craziest, goriest, weirdest imagery you've ever seen. And the last, the series fin finale to this anime is so jarring. And then it just ends. <laughs> It ends like on a cliffhanger and it's the most visually jarring thing ever, but it's the most memorable thing. And it's like, it, this is part of why I love this anime and love this manga. Cause I can't get out of my head how jarring this was. But as soon as that ended, I was like, all right, I got to start reading the manga. And, uh, this again, this um, is the 1997. The <clears throat> What's that? Does it end the same? No. The, so the, oh. the manga goes on much longer basically oh, okay. so like the anime is like a short period of time through the manga and then the manga keeps going for years and years after that but uh yeah um this is the what i was going to say is this is the 1997 anime series of berserk which i think is the best uh iteration of this story there has been a couple other adaptations but the 1997 version in my opinion you can't go wrong with because it's from what I've seen, the most faithful to the source material, but it's also the animation is that awesome, like 90s hand drawn anime style. Um, it's just it's just really solid watch. So uh, this one was jarring and crazy and I'm spoiling stuff a little bit, but this one I just absolutely love. So right on. Um, so, yeah, and I haven't seen it, so sorry, I can't uh, be a little <laughs> it's, more. Uh... It's all good. <laughs> Um, all right, so the next one I have, my last one for the night, is actually a, uh, it's, I want to say it's a little bit of a cheat because it's a limited series, but it's still a series. Um, I think it counts. 
It sure does. And the show, <laughs> the show is the Queen's Gambit. Oh, um, good call. Yeah, this is the, this is great. The episode title is the episode's title is Endgame. The show is building to this, you know, moment where she's got to play the guy in Russia, and it's like they're scared of her. They're trying to. It's it's almost like there's a behind the scenes. Excuse me, I'm about to cough. <coughs> wow, went down the wrong pipe, if you will. Let me grab a quick drink of water. Peter, entertain <laughs> the people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't even think about the Queen's Gambit, but that's definitely a really cool direction to go in. I don't know why I didn't think of this one, but it's All right, it is a really good ending. And especially when you get to how it just leaves you before the credits, it's like perfect. So, uh, yeah, but I'll let you keep going. <laughs> well, what I was going to say was is that it they they're building throughout the show. And one of the things I loved about this is like he's the ultimate opponent, the Russian champion is the he's the ultimate opponent that she's building towards and the entire time she knows she's better than everybody it's this it's a show about addiction and not only is she addicted to like she gets she deals with her drug and alcohol addiction but she addicted to chess and being the best and it's literally like i like this game i understand it and she gets addicted to it and then she's like i gotta be the best of this and i gotta beat everybody so it's like there's no opponent she can't go after but i loved how they staged the final games because what they do is like it's like the line of the chess tables yeah she's at one end and the other guys at the other end and as they win they're getting closer and closer and closer together until they're at the final the final uh match and it's just it's such an, a gripping show to watch in general it's so good but like it really like like it feels like 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 the stakes are just so massive and it's such this like poignant thing about, you know, the United States versus Russia and all that stuff. Um, I loved this show from beginning to end. Um, it, it really like, you know, I've always been a chess fan, but it really like re uh, revolutionized my love for the game and all that stuff. So yeah, Queen's Gambit, absolutely lovely, amazing show. The final episode's astounding. I love how it ended. I even love after the match when she's like, out for a walk and she goes yeah. into the park and everyone's like, Oh wait, you're the chess girl. Blah, blah, blah. They're all excited. Cause she's basically like a chess celebrity. And she sits down at the table with the one guy and she's like, let's play. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just so cool. Um, that, that's why I thought the ending was so perfect. Um, yeah. Like that last, that last shot of her just sitting down at the chess table, but, uh, no great stuff. You're right. The way they shot the tournament was so, was so awesome and just everything leading up to that to those moments like you felt like there was so much at stake and uh no this is a great call so yeah all right man what is uh what are we doing next week it's your pick yeah so uh big shocker i feel like i kind of felt with uh <laughs> i kind of felt like going with the trend uh i have another television <laughs> list for Excellent. next week um this is a list that i think we're gonna match a lot but okay. we also might bring out some deep cuts. Like there's definitely potential to bring out some deep cuts and it's going to be a fun conversation. But uh, I wanted to talk about our top five favorite sketch comedy shows. So there's like one, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I imagine like Saturday Night Live, Mad TV, Monty Python, like there's some big tent poles we might match on, match but there's, all, but there's also a lot of just obscure ones, too. Like, uh, I know a couple I might bring up that I don't know if you're going to bring up, Drew. So I think it's uh, 
I think it's going to be a fun conversation. And uh, the best part about even if we match, like if we both pick Saturday Night Live, that doesn't mean that our favorite cat, like we're both going to have the same favorite cast or even the same favorite sketches, you know. So there's a lot of nuance to talk about with this one, which I think is going to be cool. Yeah. Um, no, that's actually really cool. And yeah, we have not done sketch comedy shows, so this could be, yeah. that could be a cool uh, discussion. But yeah, I'm expecting us to match a bunch. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, and you're not talking like single episodes. You're just talking about the show in general. So I could say Saturday Night Live and Here's Why. Or I could say Mad TV. Yeah. Why. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. And, and my plan personally was I'll probably say the show and I'll probably... <laughs> mention a few of the sketches that i really like just so it's not just us both saying like yeah saturday night live's pretty cool (laughs) you know yeah yeah no i'm completely with you all right well hey everybody that's the end of this episode um so we're gonna toss this one a can and close it out um do us all a favor check out our website top5report.com there you'll find links to all of our social media twitter and facebook i have not put our instagram up there yet but i will um, but yeah, we do now have an Instagram page. Um, it's small at the moment, but um, I'm going to try and be a little more active on there. If you last week uh, on Monday, I posted, hey, our new show's up with the description of the show and stuff. So. Um, so, yeah, so we have our Instagram now, top five report. That's where you'll find us. Um, we are on uh, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon Audible. Um, you can subscribe to us in those places. Uh, if you do, you'll not miss a single episode. Um, you can also leave us a review. We love those five stars because it makes us feel it makes um, it makes us get better, and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew three nine two seven. Peter, what about you? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on X at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I will be Xing about how I just rewatched Batman Forever, and I'm recruiting members for my very own Black Light Paint, paint Gang. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, for the top five report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.